0: products are getting better, merchandisers are getting smarter, and forecasting? It's getting worse. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain. This is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. would think that with the advent of new information technology, analytics, and savvier retailers, that demand forecasting would be more accurate than ever. But that's just not the case. Markets are more complicated. Consumers are more demanding and less loyal to brands. New products have less time to catch on, and their life cycles are shrinking. When it comes to forecasting, though, the biggest hurdle is one that arises out of human nature bias. What you think the customer is going to buy often is skewed by your position in the company. Even more basic is the tendency of people to be overly optimistic about future demand, or, at the very least, assume that the future will look pretty much like the past. My guest today is a distinguished expert in the field of demand planning and forecasting. He is Chaman Jain, professor of economics at St. John's University. Dr. Jane leads us through the traps and pitfalls that planners face and shares his ideas on how they can be overcome. And he tells us why many traditional forecasting models just don't work. So here is my conversation with Chaman Jane. Shaman Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You know, you've been in this business for about 30 years or even more, looking at the trends in forecasting and demand planning. Has forecasting gotten better in that time? More accurate?
1: Not quite. Uh, Let me give you the reason why. It has improved, but uh, if you look at these uh, benchmark numbers, they don't show any improvement. Uh, uh, The reason for that is market dynamic had changed substantially over time. The market is uh, demand-driven, not supply-driven, and the uh, the number of product has exploded. Channel distribution has exploded, and life cycle of product has shortened. Uh, as a result, a new products are also growing much faster than before. According to this uh, latest survey, twenty-three percent of the revenue come from the uh, new product. So, as a result, I mean the it's not. It's not as – I think it's not as good as it used to be. Uh, It's somehow, you know, with all our efforts, uh, it had gone somewhat worse, I mean, uh, uh, because of these reasons.
0: Yeah, it just feels like the world is more unpredictable now. I mean, as you say, partly because products are more varied and complicated and supply chains are more global. But just in general, it just seems like predicting the future is tougher than it ever was before.
1: It is. uh, Plus, I think the consumer is uh, – not as loyal, it's more demanding that also great problem, uh, which was not the case before.
0: You have talked in the past about how the models themselves are not sufficient, and I'm wondering if you could explain what you mean by that and where they fall short.
1: There's some people who think I mean the model is the be all end of of forecasting, which is not true. The thing is, the forecasting process also plays a very important role to me it's more important than the model. Uh, let me give you a reason why. Uh, the thing is the, uh, I mean, one, uh, you have to put some judgment on the forecast we have statistically generated for three reasons. One is the that when you spit out this number, no matter what kind of system you use, you are likely to find some product which don't make sense. Either they are you think intuitively we would do much better than what this number is, or we do much worse than what this number is. So, which means they require some adjustment. Uh, and secondly, uh, there are some elements which cannot be quantified. As for that reason, you have to overlay judgment on the uh, 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 on the statistical forecast. For example, we are expecting a. World Fair event in New York uh, uh, next month. We never have this experience before, but it's going to impact these sales, and that has to be put into these numbers. Uh, and thirdly, there's some information may not be available at the time you generate a forecast, so you have to put some judgment into it. Uh, uh, judgment, I mean the bias, unbiased judgment. Let, let me give the example of this uh, menu food, which is the Manufacturer of the cat and dog food. Now, in nine, 2007, they manufactured, is done in uh, 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 in China, and they were contaminated, and they have to recall 60 million cans of dog and, and cat food. As a result, when the Avenger, which is another uh, uh, producer of the cat and dog food, found out this is what happened, they have to change their numbers, and they have no history. So it has to be done intuitively. Uh, so, in that sense, you have to have the process in place which allow you to make adjustment, allow you to monitor forecasts, uh, and so on.
0: That's an excellent point because there's so many of these. I don't know what you want to call these unexpected events that appear to have an extremely low probability, whether they're black swans or whatever, and yet they always seem to happen. But you can But you can't build in. Uh, a, an event of extremely low probability into a forecast, can you? Or, or, I mean, how do you account for that, knowing that it's going to happen, but you don't know what it's going to be, when it's going to happen, and how, much, how serious an impact it's going to have on your
1: sales? It is based on the past experience you have in the business for some time. You have some experience, some intuitive uh, uh, tell you what's likely to happen. It's not a science, you know, but you, some experience would tell you what the number should be. As long as I think it's an unbiased number, you do better uh, with the overlay, uh, the judgmental overlay.
0: Now you brought up the word you said unbiased, but I want to talk about bias because I think that's a really important thing to look at. And there are two types of bias that I want to address. And the first is organizational bias, that is based on who you are in the organization: if you're sales, if you're production, um, if you're if you're financial. It seems to me that depending on who you are. Your forecast, your contribution to the forecast is going to be biased based on that role. For instance, sales is going to want to say we're going to sell as much as we can. It's going to be a positive forecast because that reflects well on them. Production is going to want to um, you know, reflect on their own production capacity and match that with what they think is going to happen. So is that not a problem in organizations, organizational bias, and how do you defeat that?
1: The first thing I would like to do is make the forecast transparent it should come on the radar screen, what actually forecast and what actually happened. Now that reminds me uh, to Steve Crane, who just joined, I think last year, Feminich, uh, which is a Swedish uh, 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 a cosmetic company. He said, when I join it, I just make the forecast transparent, and I didn't do anything forecast improved. When everyone looking at this number, then they become more conscious, something has to be done to improve that. And secondly, I think the, the what they call the uh, fair value analysis can also help, uh, which means you have the statistical forecast, everyone has some touch point. sales have their own touch point, and the marketing have their own touch point, and so on. If you document all these things, what was the forecast of sales after they uh, 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 touched the for, uh, statistical forecast, what the marketing was, and who is adding value, who is not adding value? If you look at these things very closely, you should be able to find that uh, 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 whose a touch point, uh, uh, whose overlay should be included in the forecast. The third thing, which you also mentioned, I just want to uh, sort of rephrase it. I think the biggest problem is that we have the incentive problem. To me, they are different function. All these uh, incentives are function specific. Uh, For example, uh, The salespeople are judged on the basis of how well they hit the quota. So they want to under-forecast so they can hit the quota. Now, the marketing people, their marketing budget is tied with the uh, 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 forecast, so higher the number, the larger the money, money they get for a forecast, uh, for marketing people. Again, the production people, if they evaluate on the base of inventory, they want to under-forecast. If they evaluate on the basis of customer service, they want to over-forecast. It. So right, these functions, these are, uh, the, uh, are the the function-specific incentive, to me, create a problem. But if you have these some kind of system that you are divided on the basis of overall performance, everyone profit, everyone gain, then you able to solve this problem to some extent.
0: Well, you laid, out the, you laid out the situation beautifully by describing all those different biases that are built into the, one's position of the company. When you say make the forecast transparent, how, what do you mean? I mean, how does one go about doing that?
1: You have to uh, break the wall of the, which you divide different functions. We have, what we have somehow, in some cases, a very silo structure. Uh, and there's a separate entity within an organization. And each one prepared their own forecast. Production people prepare their own forecast for own reason. The sales people prepare their own forecast for their own purpose. And nobody actually looking over what they did. And no, they are not concerned with it because nobody is watching them. So when they are actually become transparent, then they become more conscious. So something has to be done. So in that sense, I think the uh, uh, the this would help, I mean, if you make them transparent.
0: And in doing so, do they become more cognizant of their own bias? I mean, do they take that into account and attempt to defeat the bias based on their position because of that transparency?
1: But When you see uh, the sales forecast for this much, the marketing forecast this much, and the production forecast this much, if you see on the screen, I mean, how long you can continue the doing the way you have been doing before? So everyone will pointing finger and uh, finger at you, fellow, what you did. I mean. So I think this will make them more conscious to be concerned about it. Which, if there is a silo structure, they are not really concerned about it because nobody is looking over their number.
0: As long as we're talking about input, so far we've only talked about input within the four walls of the organization. But good forecasts also depend on downstream contributions from retailers uh, upstream to suppliers and, you know, and everybody outside the four walls should be involved too. So are there not bias uh, challenges to defeat in those cases as well?
1: Well, the, the bias is there. Let me give you uh, – you get information which you are simply guessing at this point. The, what their sale is, the POS data give you that number what their inventory is, the customer is offering that, giving that uh, information. Some cases, they also give the business plan what they uh, 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 plan to do, while they're promoting your product and all that. So this can help. So there's no guessing. So the customer uh, uh, information is very valuable. Uh, now, the question is, in some cases, what the point you're making is that the customer tend to over forecast. I remember the case of the arrow industry. The guy was telling me, that they do get the forecast from their customer, but they use as an input to their own forecast. He found out that their forecast is uh, actually, they tend to over-forecast to make sure we have enough uh, 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 quantity of the merchandise needed. need. Uh, so they try to dampen that number, I mean, uh, use as an input in their own forecast. In uh, one thing I have to say that, I mean, which was maybe somewhat abusing the, uh, uh, the number which they get from the outside, and he was saying that is, if all these my clients give me uh, over forecast larger number, it means that something is happening in the marketplace. So which means I would go ahead and raise the prices, which may be somebody abusing it, but uh, uh, but that's uh, the way you know the guy from the industry told me once.
0: Um, doesn't the same thing happen when OEM sends a forecast up to its uh, various tiers of suppliers? Do the sometimes those suppliers feel that the OEM is being overly optimistic in order to ensure a ready, ready availability of parts, and the t- and the suppliers up the tiers might try to to downgrade the forecast based on their own belief about what's really going to be needed? So the same situation occurs each time outside partners get together and send a forecast upstream, right?
1: That is true. That is true. I mean, there is some, you know, uh, uh, maybe called the misuse of this information uh, is there. But eventually, I think they are transparent. I mean, how long you can do that? You are actually quantifying. This is the number you gave me for. This is actually what you order. So maybe one month, two month, three month, eventually it's going to surface, uh, that they become more conscious if something is, uh, you know, documented.
0: Do you think that companies are doing an especially good job today in accepting and making use of forecasts from outside their four walls, from suppliers upstream, from customers downstream?
1: Yeah, there's no question about that. This can help in your own uh, forecast. To me, I mean, as I said before, it's just like our industry. You're not using their forecast at the face value. You are using their forecast in as an input to your own forecast. In that guess it can be helpful, very helpful.
0: I want to talk about another kind of bias, too, and that is a more human bias. Regardless of where you are in an organization, it seems like there's been studies out there that have indicated that when people do predict the future, they tend to overestimate. Um, They tend to be overly positive. They tend to utilize best-case scenarios. So that's one type of bias. I wonder, is that naturally found in the organization, and how can that be addressed?
1: I think this is quite true. I mean, uh, uh, to me, uh, most of the company, uh, they have more tendency to over-forecast, under-forecast. The best way to handle this problem is, to me, is do some kind of uh, – cost analysis that how much the error is costing you, when you over-forecast, how much it costs you, when you under-forecast, how much it's uh, going to cost you. Now, you cannot measure or quantify all the costs, but in the production area, it's uh, – which is a – to me, the large chunk of it uh, can be quantified. That if I over forecasted uh, what percentage I have to sell at a discount, how much I lost there, what Percentage has to be become obsolete based on the last year experience, uh, uh, how much the inventory is costing me, and so on. Uh, if you under-forecasting it, you can also see how, many, how much sale I lost uh, and uh, how much expediting cost uh, uh, occurred as it served, and so on. So if you try to quantify it and monetize those numbers, and I think you will see uh, uh, it would have much better impact on the upper management, at least. Uh, yeah, which yeah. can make the, bring a change in the whole system.
0: Another trap that people tend to fall into, I wonder if this isn't true in your observations, is that they tend to rely too heavily on history. I mean, obviously, history is an important input into a forecast, but they tend to just assume that what happened before is going to keep on happening. Is that a, is that a bias that needs to be addressed as well?
1: It's a bias. I mean, because, uh, for example, I mean, history gives you a good benchmark or baseline forecast. And then you have to overlay judgment over it, as I mentioned before. I mean, uh, so it does provide the guidance, I mean, what the number should be. Uh, then you overlay what's, uh, you know, uh, uh, change can occur. Like uh, I, the thing which I mentioned, I mean, you know, the, uh, the information which were not quantified uh, yet has a bearing or information which is not available at the time, uh, 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 that has to be incorporated in the forecast number. So, but the, but the bias problem comes in when they're trying to match the forecast with the budget, which happens in some cases. This is a, really a problem. One guy was complaining, I know why I'm doing it, uh, uh, because uh, uh, every time I make a forecast, they, they ultimately go into the budget and use that as a basis for their planning. Uh, so that's, that's a bias uh, there. And sometimes consensus meeting, I've seen that. Uh, the guy who has a clout of power, I mean, get his own way. But if the forecasts are transparent, I think eventually the guy will wake up. What's happening, What is he doing is not right.
0: So we can defeat some of those human tendencies simply by through transparency, as you say. I think so. I yeah. think so. Uh, yeah. Um, yet another trap, I wonder, or another failure that companies often fall into, is their inability or unwillingness to take into account what the competition is going to be doing. Uh, so many forecasts seem to be based on just internal estimates of sales based on your own product and your own customer base. But do you think that companies need to figure more deep, more deeply into their calculations, this idea of what the competition is up to?
1: No question about that. No question about that. There should be. Particularly, I have seen in the new product forecasting, in the SNLB process it laid out, does not pay any attention to the new products. The new product actually is, uh, uh, as I said before, 23% of the sales come from the uh, new product. In the case of uh, Apple Computer, for example, the last 40, 60% sales come from the product launch in the last uh, four years. Uh, so it's a big part. So what I'm implying here is the, it's not the treating these products like new products, like uh, uh, other product. You need a separate treatment for these things, and which means, coming back to your question, I mean, not only what the sale has been, also uh, what can go wrong with a new product. You have to look in the market. What the competitor is doing, is he come up with a new product? Is he trying to increase their promotion? Is he trying to – so if I know it ahead of time, I can do something about it. And there, there are many other issues which is probably uh, which also should be reviewed, which is outside the a product you launch, and you did not find the consumer does not like it, and you want to take it action right away. For example, Coca-Cola in uh, uh, 1980, uh, I forgot the date. Uh, they changed the formula after 99 years, and they did all the research and and to find out, you know. The people would like this uh, new formula, but when they put it into the market, the market rejected it, and it took 77 days to replace the new one. So this information, they should have, if their system in place in the sob process, they should have captured this information. Marker may, uh, Marker make whiskey, for example. Last year, I mean, there was a great demand for this product, uh, which has a 45 percent uh, uh, alcohol in it. And there was so much demand they could not meet it, and they thought let's cut down to forty-two percent, and, uh, uh, and 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 uh. so they did a taste testing, all that it doesn't make a difference. The market rejected it, so since they are watching the market very closely, within one week they came back the old product. So what I'm saying is you have to look at the what's happening in marketplace, also what the competitor is doing too. And there are many other things I've seen that you know that the Consumer is using a product for other than what you uh, launch for. So if you can find out where they're using, like a NyQuil, they found that they're using it as a sleeping aid. So they came up with a new product, uh, P&G, and made millions of dollars out of that. So what I'm saying, you have to watch the market very closely what's happening to your product, uh, not only comparative action, but also other elements, too. In the case of Rubbermaid, for example, uh, they introduced the uh, container that you will save the vegetable if you store them in that container, they've lost 30% longer. But they realize it's not happening that way because they are first someone washing these vegetables, then putting in the container, and the vegetables are not uh, uh, are perishing very quickly. So what I'm implying is that not only see what the comparer is doing, but also how your product is uh, uh, performing in the market what kind of issues are developing there? There's certain issues you can handle it, you can take care of it, and other issues cannot. What if you can take care of it, you should right away. So in that sense, I'm saying is you should have a separate division, I mean, within the SOP system who pay more attention to new product and also take, uh, 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 pay very close attention to the performance in the marketplace yeah, other a- than the event.
0: At the same time, all companies must ultimately conclude that no forecast is ever going to be 100% accurate. And you've addressed that a little bit in our conversation today by talking about companies that have responded to forecasts that didn't play out as expected. But I'm wondering if that means that perhaps it's not a good idea that instead of coming out with a fixed number in a forecast, it would be better to come out at least with a long horizon planning with a range of possibilities, and then narrow that range the closer you get down to the actual moment. Is that a good idea?
1: There's a problem there. The problem is we are working the SOP process, for example. We have a target what you're going to uh, 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 hit by the end of the year. Then we break up the target into months so that we can take the action every month and see what happened and then find out where we went wrong and then change it. So this way we are taking the action uh, every every uh, uh, month um, but if I think in terms of the long term, I cannot do anything because if i 'm just taking if I have a perfect knowledge that if I do a b C this would happen, but i don 't have the perfect knowledge, but I do have the partial knowledge, so I can just plan for the month next month again, I also plan for the next year too i mean but um, my emphasis is the uh so this month what happened, and then learn from it and make a correction in the next month, and so on. So it's planning and replanning this uh, uh, operational planning. So this, I think you have to do that. Uh, but if you're thinking in terms of long range, the range forecast, production people need one number. They can't work with the range. Mm-hmm. You work with the range when thinking of one year from now, probably you can see that. In the capacity planning, you'll see that. But when you're looking for the production planning, you need one number. You can't work with the range.
0: Well, Dr. Jane, thank you so much for helping to highlight some of the challenges involved in forecasting. I'm glad to hear you say that it is possible to come up with a forecast of some accuracy uh, with all of the different complications involved. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: You're most welcome.
0: That was Dr. Chaman Jane of Saint John's University. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my think tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter at SC Brain. See you next time.